Well, when my son began Little League a few years ago, I noticed a sign that was posted at the ball field where we play. We have it for you up on the screens, but in case you can't read it from where you are, here's what it says. These are kids. This is a game. Coaches are volunteers. Umpires are human. Enjoy the moment. At that time, I actually took a picture of this and posted it to my Facebook page and said, this is why I love Sandy Springs baseball. Well, at the time, my son had just completed his first season of soccer as a four-year-old, where there was more crying than soccer playing. So when we started baseball, I just considered any athletic performance that involved little to no tears to be a success. I had no idea how people could actually get worked up about kids playing a game and, you know, kind of scoffed from a distance at people who got all worked up about sports. Well, this summer, we participated in all-star tournament baseball for the first time. And when I say we, I mean it. I feel like I deserve a trophy for sitting out there. Some of you know what this is like. Anywhere between four and six baseball games in one weekend in the Georgia heat. And whether it was from heat or pure delirium, something happened to me this summer and I became a crazy baseball mom. I was totally emotionally invested in the outcomes of these baseball games. And there was one where even we were losing 12 to zero and the umpire called a strike that should not have been a strike on one of our players who wasn't even my kid and I just found myself getting all riled up inside. And now I understand why they post signs like that at Little League baseball fields. I just need to carry it around on a little card or something to remind myself. Thankfully, I've not yelled at any umpires or coaches yet, just kind of, but in, inside, it's all, all the emotion is going on. Well, have you ever found yourself in a place where you've lost perspective? Where something that shouldn't be a big deal becomes a really big deal to you? Or where your emotional response to something just doesn't match the situation that is going on? Perhaps there's a relational challenge that you are facing that just becomes all-consuming. Or you find yourself stressed about something at work that in the grand scheme of things should not be taking up that much mental energy. Or perhaps you're just you're going through a really difficult season in life, whether it's dealing with pain or financial challenges, loneliness, or maybe a challenging stage with one of your kids and it just becomes your primary focus and you can't think about anything else. Well, perspective is something that we all need to face the daily challenges that come our way. So let's talk a little bit this morning about what perspective is. Perspective is the ability to see the whole picture and to keep things in their proper place. When we lose perspective, it's as though we zoom in into the problem or the situation at hand and we can't see the rest of the picture. This morning, we're going to talk about the gift of perspective that comes from the Lord, which is the ability to look at the same situation with new eyes and to begin to see it the way that God sees it. I love what Judith Smith says about perspective. He says this, perspective is the realization that there is a God and you are not him. The gift of perspective is what helps us put things in their proper place and to remember that God is in control no matter what we face. So how do we get this perspective? Well, Psalms 123 that Jarrett just read for us gives us some good advice. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. We gain perspective by looking up. 
The psalmist writes from a situation of misery. This is a psalm of distress. Verses 3 and 4 tell us how Israel has endured contempt and ridicule from arrogant adversaries. And the psalmist is crying out to the Lord for mercy in his situation. He likens their situation to that of a slave. Slaves who are powerless to provide for themselves and are therefore looking to their master to ensure their care and provision. Well, looking up, it implies that we trust that God is on his throne and that is in control of all that we face. When we look up, it means that we are looking to the Lord as our source of provision in our lives. And as we begin to look up, our, our, it shifts our focus from the problem at hand from the situation that seems overwhelming and places it on the one who actually has power to do something about the situation that we are in. But most importantly, as we look up, what happens? What Micah said this morning, we forget about ourselves and we place our eyes on the Lord. And we begin to see God more clearly for who God is. We remember God's character, that God is holy, gracious, kind, loving, and all-powerful. We begin to look to the Lord's strength, which helps us see the situation we're facing with new eyes, opening us up to possibilities that can come from God's care and provision in our lives. But if you're anything like me, although I believe with all my heart that God sits on his throne and that he is in control of everything we face, it is very easy to lose sight of that when life starts to unravel when I start to feel overwhelmed or just an unexpected curveball comes my way. But looking up, remembering who God is, it's not just our natural response. It is something that takes practice. We are much more accustomed to looking down, allowing the situation we're facing to consume our entire focus. Well, I recently have become acquainted to the hazards of looking down too much when it comes to your physical health. I was diagnosed with carpal tunnel syndrome in both wrists and some degenerative neck um, issues, which have been a real pain in the neck, pun intended. But one of the first things that the physical therapist asked me to pay attention to was how often I was looking down at devices or at computer screens in the office, and I've had to make some adjustments to get a monitor to lift my head and pay more attention to this. Well, both the result of this going on in my own life and studying this passage about looking up has caused me to pay more attention as I walk around other places to see how often we as a society are looking down. I go to playgrounds and I see parents not looking up at their children but looking down at their devices. I go to restaurants, I see couples sitting across from each other at the table, not looking at each other and talking but looking down at their devices. You walk down the street, you see people not looking up at who's walking by them or to the beautiful surroundings, but looking down at their devices. And perhaps this is a topic for another day, but I wonder if this is one of many reasons that we as a society are losing perspective. How many opportunities are we missing to observe and soak in many of the gifts the Lord has placed in our lives because we're looking down rather than up? Well, the book of Psalms, it uses the word downcast to describe people who are looking down. The vision is downcast. Psalm 42 says, why are you downcast, my soul? So we see downcast is a synonym for what? Synonym for discouragement. 
But it's interesting that the Bible uses the contrast of looking up, of lifting our eyes as a picture of hope. As we look down, we begin to fixate on what's wrong, at the situation at hand, perhaps things that annoy us or defects in the people around us that maybe even sometimes we feel like it's our job to point out. But as we begin to lift our eyes to the Lord, we see that he desires to often give us a bigger perspective of the situation, to begin to see things the way he sees them. Maybe we start to realize that what is needed in the moment is not our critical comment or observation, but a word of encouragement or gratitude instead. Lifting up begins to shift our perspective. Perhaps when you look up, you begin to see that the feeling that you have in the moment is not as exaggerated as you are sensing it to be. Perhaps you realize the situation is not as urgent. It can actually wait. Maybe your circumstance is not as hopeless as you thought, and there are possibilities for it to get better or solutions that you have not yet thought of. Maybe there's more to the story with the person that you're having conflict with, and the Lord wants you to open your eyes, maybe even to your part in the situation. Lifting our eyes shifts our perspective to the one who is in control and helps us to place the situation in the Lord's hands, to ask him for wisdom and how we need to handle it, or perhaps to just lay it at his feet when we feel like that we are powerless to do anything about it. Well, Drew shared with us something a couple weeks ago when he was preaching on the sovereignty of God that has really stuck with me. He challenged us as we went about our week to wake up each morning and to think about God hosting our day. Have any of you tried that? It is amazing what a change in perspective you have as you go about your day viewing the Lord as hosting each thing that is happening throughout your day. It's a great way to begin shifting our perspective. Well, this morning, our secondary scripture passage comes from 2 Corinthians 12. This is a passage that you may be familiar with, um, spoken by the Apostle Paul, but we're going to go ahead and take a look at this passage together. You can follow along in your bulletin or on the screens behind me. But Paul says this, I know a man in Christ, oops, sorry, <laughs> a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Well, is, is anyone's head feeling like it's spinning a little bit with that opening part when Paul <laughs> is speaking? If so, that's okay. You're probably not alone. But before we dive into what this passage has to teach us about perspective, let's clear up a few of some of the common questions that arise from this. Um, one of the first one is, Paul, who is Paul talking about when he refers to this man caught up into the third heaven? Well, most commentators believe that Paul is actually speaking about himself in the third person. Well, why is he doing this? To confuse us? Well, if you look at what comes before this passage, it actually comes in context of what many people call Paul's fool speech, where he is speaking in this kind, almost like a rant. He is going on a rant because there are some kind of rival missionaries who are trying to undermine his authority. And so he's trying to make a case for his apostolic ministry and how the Lord has given it to him um, in, to make a case for it so he is not discredited in his ministry. Well, some of these super apostles, as they so, are so-called, are going around and they are using just eloquent speech and talking about all of these visions and revelations that they have had in order to kind of elevate themselves. So Paul, as he is beginning in referring to this revelation, he is trying not to fall into the same trap as the super apostles, and instead to deflect the attention from his, himself, he is referring to himself in the third person in order for the focus to be on the Lord and on Christ's power coming through his weaknesses. Are you still with me? I know that's a lot to kind of swallow all at once. A second kind of common question that comes up as we read this is, what is the third heaven? What is Paul talking about? He's being caught up in the third heaven. Well, to understand this, we need to know a little bit about Hebrew cosmology. In their understanding of just kind of how the world operated, they viewed the first heaven as simply the realm that we would call the sky, where birds fly, where clouds reside. We see in the Old Testament it says that God opens up the heavens and rain pours down. Well, their understanding would also say that the second heaven would be the broader universe, the realm where the sun, the moon, and the stars reside. So therefore, the third heaven is simply the area where God dwells, what we would refer to as heaven. So this is not some strange new teaching um, that we need to get our minds around. Well, the final question that many people have is, what is Paul talking about when he refers to this thorn in his flesh? Well, this is going to be one of those unsolved mysteries that no one has ever quite figured out. But commentators and scholars for, have speculated, was it some sort of, is he suffering some, from an ailment, a disease, a, a season of depression? Uh, maybe he was going through a, a, a temptation or had a guilty conscience or a challenging relationship. But the answer is we simply, we don't know. And I wonder if not knowing is one of the reasons why this passage feels so applicable to our lives. We can fill in the blank with our own situation. Is there anything in your life today that you would consider to be a thorn in the flesh? Something that you have pleaded with the Lord to take away? Maybe someone you love is sick. Maybe your marriage is in a bad spot. Maybe you've been suffering from depression. Maybe you've been stuck in a job where you can't see a way out or a way to make it better. These are all thorn-in-the-flesh type situations. And this passage is one of the most encouraging verses you can find for seasons in life where you need a new perspective. The perspective that Paul gained in the midst of his trial came from looking up to the Lord. He realized that the answer to his problem was not simply for it to go away, but for the Lord to intervene, for the Lord's presence and power to be shown in the midst of his trial. 
And as Paul pleaded with the Lord to take away his thorn, the answer he received from the Lord was this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Have you ever meditated upon those transformative words? My grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient means enough. It's all that you need. We sing a song, you, you may remember, that says your grace is enough. Do you believe that? That God's grace is enough for you? That his grace is in limitless supply? It's available in your weaknesses, in your failures, in your disappointments, and in your most desperate moments. But the next phrase is what really gets me. It says that God says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Our weaknesses are usually the things we want to fix. They're the things that we want to get rid of in our lives. They're the places that we want to escape from. And the things that cause us to to be cast down, to to shift our perspective down, are the things that we're often praying for the Lord to take away. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with us praying for the Lord to change these situations, for the Lord to heal, and to restore things in our lives. We actually see time and time again that we are encouraged to bring our requests before the Lord. But as we lift our eyes to the Lord, we also realize that these situations are opportunities for God's power to be displayed in our lives. Paul discovered that when he was weak, that he would become strong in the Lord's strength, not his own. So how do we do this? How do we look up? What enables us to turn our gaze from what is going on in our lives to look to the Lord in his strength? Well, the first one you know you knew would be on the list. We need to read and meditate upon Scripture. This is what, why we come to church each Sunday. This is why, if you look on the back of your bulletin, every time you leave here, we are giving you some opportunity to reflect upon Scripture and what you have learned here on Sunday mornings. This is why we have Advent devotionals and small group studies and a daily text or weekly text that you can receive that brings you new ways to reflect upon God's word. The best way to see the Lord more clearly is to learn more about him through his word. That is why he's given it to us. Maybe there's a verse that you just need to cling to that says something about who God is that you can repeat over and over when you find yourself in just one of those situations where it's really hard to shift your perspective. If you want to jot one down, Psalm 8411 is one that I have recently been meditating on, and it's amazing what it does to shift your perspective. Maybe as you're studying scripture, maybe you're in a Bible study or in a small group, maybe it's taking some time to really dive into what does this say about who God is? in God's character, and how can I focus my attention on that? Well, as you read, as you reflect upon this, watch how God begins to shift your perspective upward. Well, a second thing we do is we worship. That's why we're all here. But it is amazing how, what a perspective-shifting spiritual practice worship is. You might think you're simply singing a song, but worship shapes your perspective like nothing else. I'm so grateful to Micah and our team of worship leaders here each week, not just because they're incredibly talented, but because of how they help cement God's truth in our hearts and in our minds. Have you ever noticed how you might be in the middle of your week and all of a sudden one of the lyrics to a song you sang on Sunday is just in your mind? 
This, maybe even have a song that you learned as a child that comes back to you in a situation right when you need it. Which is another sidebar of why I'm so thankful that we have our kids sitting here worshiping with us Sunday after Sunday. We are, it is planting the truth of God's word into their hearts and minds that will stay with them their entire lives and feed their souls. Well, third and finally, we listen to stories of people who rely on God's sustaining grace. It is amazing how people's testimonies of relying on the Lord help us also lean into that same sort of perspective. I'm always inspired by the testimony of people who have endured great hardship, especially when they're able to articulate how the Lord has helped them walk through that time. I remember when I was a teenager a story of a young woman um, named Johnny Erickson. And we, our youth group watched this movie, and she was, you know, immediately you kind of related to her story. She was this teenage girl, grew up in Southern California, and she was at the beach with her friends one day when she dove into the water and had a cervical neck, neck injury that left her a quadriplegic. Well, this movie goes on to really detail firsthand, like, this two-year period of anguish as she went through some rehabilitation, hoping that she might regain some use of her limbs, and it also really highlighted her spiritual struggle of just wrestling the question with, why would God allow me to go through something like this? And it really, it was one of those stories that really stayed with me. Well, she has gone on to have quite a testimony. Many of you may have even heard of her before, but another time in my life when I was in my early 20s and my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer, somebody gave me one of her books that was called When God Weeps. And I cannot tell you how the, the story of a woman who has just walked through really hell and back, clinging to the Lord, gave me hope to persevere through that season in my life. Well, I recently um, heard about Johnny again and something that she was doing in her ministry and came across a bio that just talks about what the Lord has done in her life since that accident almost 50 years ago. Well, she has gone on to write over 50 books she hosts a Christian radio show that reaches almost a million people every week that features stories of inspiration and reflection on scripture. She's had a TV show where she invites people to share their stories of how they have walked through adversity and trusted the Lord. She founded a ministry called Wheels for the World, which provides wheelchairs for disabled people around the world who cannot afford these resources. She has served on more boards than I have time to mention this morning, and so also served on the Disability Advisory Committee for the U.S. State Department, in addition to receiving many awards nationally and internationally for her humanitarian work and ministry. And she's done all of this from a wheelchair, and I might add, with a joyful spirit. As I was looking at her bio, this last line, I think, says it all. It says, Johnny recently celebrated 50 years of living well in her wheelchair, a remarkable testimony to God's sustaining grace. Did you hear that? She celebrated 50 years of living in her wheelchair. That's the gift of perspective, of looking up to God's sustaining grace. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you would help us to look up, Lord. We thank you that you sit enthroned in heaven, Lord, that you are in control, Lord, and we 
wants to rely on that strength. And so, Lord, we pray that even our time in worship this morning would begin to shift our eyes from what is going on in our lives to you. Would you remind us of your goodness, of your care, of your love, and of your power to intervene? We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>